Broadcasting from Terrio Studios in Glendale, California, it's time for Epic Real Estate Investing with Matt Terrio. Yeah. Hello. And welcome. Welcome to another episode of Epic Real Estate Investing. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. Glad you're here. This is not your first time. Welcome back. This is the place where I teach people how to escape the rat race by investing in real estate. And if I were to do this all over again, I'd do it exactly the same way. I'd do it exactly the same way, whether I had the money and credit to work with or not. You see, while I was finding my way, I stumbled upon these 12 different strategies of investing in real estate with little to no money. And I think in hindsight, you know, when I look back and you know what they say, hindsight's 2020, I'm pretty sure that made me a better investor by being forced to invest with little to no money or credit. It made me a better investor. And I want to make you a better investor as well. So what I did is I put the first two strategies, the two of which I believe are the easiest and fastest strategies to a paycheck. I've put them into a free course just for you. And you can access that course at freerealestateinvestingcourse.com or just text 55678. Excuse me, text free course to 55678. Text the words free course. That's all one word, actually. No spaces. Free course to 55678. You get it right there on your phone. Alrighty, so today I want to touch on a little bit of a a higher level conversation. You know, the, the, the basics that we talk about here are to focus on creating streams of money, right? Yet for many people just getting started, they need to create a small pile of money in order to create the streams of money. So most of the time I'm teaching people how to make quick money via say bird dogging or signing of contracts and, and buying and selling. I mean, even if your intent is to 100% buy and hold, you should know how to make money with those three strategies. Meaning, you know, because just every deal that finds its way to your desk won't be one that you'd want to hold. But don't throw it away. No, don't do that. You can still make money off of that. You can still make money from it by either referring it to another investor or getting it under a contract and assigning that contract or buy it and sell it later. Whether you sell it immediately or maybe a few months later after you've made some improvements and increased the value. Okay, so... These don't have to be a part of your regular business, but you know, since you spend so much time and effort on the marketing to find those deals, you might as well get something out of your efforts, right? Absolutely. So that's why I teach that a lot. I teach that a lot here. And also I teach frequently creative strategies of which to hold on to real estate so that you can receive a residual income from it. And so you can keep building that residual income. Now, if you're just getting started, I don't want you to take both of these on at the same time, get a few deals under your belt first, get to a point where you're competent and comfortable with wholesaling, and then go ahead and add the, the buy and hold strategy to your business after that. You know, the two work very, very well together. You know, you can wholesale three and, and live off of some of that cash and then use some of that cash to buy and hold, say, the fourth property. I mean, that, that's exactly how I got started. They kind of, they work really well together. I started with, with short sales, specifically, uh, Mercedes and I, we would flip three and hold one, flip three and hold one, flip three and hold one. And that was a, a very good system for us. It was a good small operation for us that that allowed us to do just about, I don't know, whatever we wanted with our free time. And it was a good business and it was a good living. And and whether you're, you know, you're flipping short sales like we were, or if you're flipping probates or foreclosures, pre-foreclosures, tax deeds, whatever it may be, that's a great business model, which can get you out of the rat race in, I don't know, three to five years really being as long as you're consistent with your activities and, and as long as you're treating your business like a business, you can get out of the rat race very quickly just by setting a formula for yourself. I'm going to flip three, hold one, flip three, hold one, flip something like that. And, and when it really gets going, you just kind of switch it up a little bit. Okay, now I'm going to flip two and I'm going to hold one. I'm going to flip two and I'm going to hold one. 
And then maybe you're flipping one, holding one, flipping one, holding one. And, you know, and then at some point, like where I am right now, I'm trying to hold everything. That's my, I want to hold one, hold one, hold one, hold one. I, and I still flip quite a few every year, but my intent is to hold everything just because that's where, that's what pays for my existence, what pays for my, the basic needs of my life. So, and, and also when, when you flip some, hold some, when you do that, here's another good thing about it is it, is it hedges your business. It mitigates risk. You know, it eliminates a, a single point of failure in your business. You don't have a single point of income and it can, it can offset unexpected repairs on the properties that you hold. It can offset unexpected vacancies on the properties that you hold. And also, you know, if you go a couple months without a good flip or out of, without a good short sale or excuse me, wholesale or two, you still have the income from your holdings to help you live. Okay. So by conducting both activities, selling and holding, you know, it gets more comfortable and less risky as you go, not to mention more fun. But those two strategies, very basic way to hedge against loss, hedge against setback. Um, they just work really well. And the more you do it, the, the, the more secure it becomes and the more fun it becomes. Now, something rather remarkable happens when you're conducting this business and having fun with it. Uh, and stay with me here, because what happens when you start having fun, people start to notice. And when people notice, they want to be a part of it. And, and people start to notice that. They want to be involved. And people with money start to notice. And they want to be involved. And it's people with money that want to work with you or they want to align with you. They want to, you know, begin to, they just all kind of start to come out of the woodwork. And they want to get started. And they want to work with you because you're obviously doing well because you're having so much fun. You know, people and money are attracted to fun. They're attracted to success. And, you know, as long as you don't keep your successes a secret, people and money will also be attracted to you, right? That will happen. Now, there's there are operative words in there. You must be having genuine fun, not faking it, although that can work if you're really good at it, if you're a really good actor. But that has a tendency to, you know, people just have a way of sniffing that out. So I don't recommend it. I, re I recommend you go get the success first and then the fun comes naturally, okay? So you must be having genuine fun and you must be experiencing success. And, and the people with money attracted to you, th th that is just gonna kind of feel effortless as long as you're doing that. So when you get to the point where you don't need the money and you get to the point where you don't need the business, that's when it really starts to pick up. It's ironic, it's kind of like banks. Like you go in there to borrow money from the bank and the only way they're gonna give it to you is if you can fill out the application and prove that you don't need it. Kind of backwards. And, and this kind of works kind of the same way. And, and you know, so it just kind of it starts to pick up. The, the, the less you need the money, the less you need the business, the more that opportunity, this opportunity is gonna come your way. And, and people with money, they'll essentially, they'll beg to give you their money, to give their money to you is what I'm trying to say. Okay, so it, it's a really, you know, if you've never experienced this, I'm sure this sounds unbelievable, but but for those of you that have, you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? Absolutely, stuff just starts to happen. You're like, where was this when I was <laughs> when I was really trying for it a while back and I couldn't find it? Now all of a sudden it's here. So start doing deals and, and do them consistently. That will create the success in your business. I talk about it all the time, and you're probably tired of me here. My uh, tired of me saying it. Be consistent with your activities. That's going to create consistent business and consistent business is going to create consistent income for you, all resulting in what we call success. And when your business is succeeding, it's fun. It's genuinely fun. 
And when it's fun, people will be attracted to you. People like to be around fun people, right? There's no news there. We all have our favorite people we like to spend the majority of our time with, right? I mean, picture that person. You probably already think of that person. Picture that person or those people, the persons. Who, who is that for you? Who do you like to spend your time with? Who do you like to spend the majority of your time with? Is it a group of friends or is it one person in particular? Now, now that you know who that is or you've got that in your mind, now let me ask you, do you have fun when you're with them? Chances are you do. Do you even laugh a lot when you're with them? Chances are that you do, absolutely. So I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. Just being, you can be intentional about it, okay? So in, instead of looking for fun people to hang out with though, be the fun person. Make that your intention. And it's, and it's super easy to be fun, genuinely fun, I gotta underline that, when your business is succeeding, all right? So let, let's get back on track, all right? Once you get your business going, how do you set it up so that one, you mitigate your risk so that your business sustains itself so it doesn't go away at the next turn of the market? And two, how do you set it up so that it keeps growing regardless of market conditions? Okay, so as I just shared, I, I started out with and still maintain a buy and sell business and a buy and hold business. I still have that. And you see, once that stabilized and I started having fun with it, you know, random people out of the blue just kind of began to offer me their money to use. And some were friends, some were past clients that had purchased property from me, uh, some were coaching clients, some were business associates, some were vendors, and, and many were, most of them were friends and associates of all of those groups, meaning referrals. And when this began to happen, it was actually, it seemed like magic, actually, it was rather unbelievable, because what I had struggled to previously do where I really struggled when raising money, when I was trying to find the money, was now coming so easily. That's what made it unbelievable. And in fact, I wasn't even trying. Like it wasn't, you know, initially I was like, well, would you like to have coffee? Let's talk about an investment. And that was a struggle to get someone to meet me for coffee to even talk about it. And and then it, it became easy where someone's, where I'd ask somebody to go have coffee and they'd be like, oh, okay, cool. It's because they already kind of knew what was going on in my life. But now people were kind of asking me out for coffee. So whenever I was offered money to invest or offered a partnership, I didn't turn any of them down. I just kind of remembered how difficult it was in the beginning. And I was like, oh, well, this is how it's supposed to be. So this is a blessing. This is a gift. So let's create some sort of relationship where we can both get something out of this. So I didn't turn anything down. I just kept accepting people's contributions to the point where I now have eight different LLC partnerships. In these LLCs, they're, they're all different partners, different structures, of which now collectively, I hold 242 units within those eight, uh, those eight LLCs. I just counted. You know, I hadn't counted in a while, and I just got kind of used to saying 200 plus units. So I can almost say 250 plus now units. I didn't know I was that close. And so what that, that's what I mean, though. When you get to a certain point in your business, it just kind of starts to grow. And the how many, like how many units, that doesn't become so important. People, people kind of look at me like, how, how can you just not remember how many units you have, how many houses you own? I, I really don't. It, and I had to count them. I was counting them as I was preparing for this show. So it's 242. So, but it, it doesn't really have to do with how many. It has to do more with what are the returns I'm getting on that money? What are the returns I'm getting on the money that I'm responsible for deploying? 
And how do I protect it? How do I protect my investors? How do I protect my partners? How do I protect myself? How do I protect my family? And how do I do all of that and keep it growing? How can I hedge against risk more than just simple or diversifying in these two strategies, right? I got the buy and sell and I got the buy and hold. There's, if when you're getting started, that's a good hedge together. That works well together. But when you start, when you're responsible for millions and millions of dollars and you have a lot of people depending on you with their money, you kind of have to look a little bit deeper. How can I protect this even more? So, you know, within these eight LLCs, I, I began to diversify the territories now. I, I moved into different states and different markets. You know, we're we're in Memphis now. We're in Columbus. We are in um, Cincinnati. We're in St. Louis, Kansas City, Cleveland, uh, Indianapolis. We just started in, in Atlanta and Birmingham. So we've diversified our markets. So we're all over the place now. Okay, so then, then I began to diversify the property types. And this, a lot of this was kind of happening all at the same time, but I started looking at different properties because up to this point, I was almost exclusively a, a single family residence investor. But then I moved into duplexes and fourplexes and then into multi-units. I mean, right now I've got a seven unit, a 12 unit, a 14 unit, a 44 unit, and a 50 unit. And I have just as many of those units as single family residents. And so I diversified in the types of properties. Well, I, how do we go deeper? How do we diversify even more? How do we secure what we've built here? So then I started to diversify in the actual investing strategies themselves. You know, I had, I had the buy and sell working for me and I had the buy and hold working for me. And then I started to create notes where I would buy property and then sell them via seller financing. And that was working really well. It's kind of a midterm strategy. And then I began to do a, a lot of transactional funding. I mean, in this last six months or so, I've been doing a lot of transactional funding. So now I've got multiple property types, multiple markets, and multiple strategies, all divided up in various ways and various combinations with various types of partnerships within eight different LLCs. Now, every LLC to date has proven profitable, not without challenges for sure, but but everything is in the black. But with, you know, so much diversity in my portfolio, I also have a significant amount of diversity in the manner those profits come to me and my partners. And, you know, many of my partners, I owe fixed payments to, you know, every month I have a fixed payment to somebody or somebody's multiple people, or every quarter I have to cut a check for to somebody. And those checks have to be cut regardless if their particular properties or their particular strategies or with their particular market were profitable or not. So, like, this is the pro- the challenges it presents. So, while LLC number one crushed it in the first quarter, LLC number two did not. So, LLC, LLC number two asks LLC number one for a loan. Then they create a note, and that note goes over to LLC one. LLC one gives LLC two the money, and so LLC two can make its payments. And then three months later, that maybe that scenario is reversed. And what, what that has done is created a full-time headache of a job for me, not to mention my, my CPA and, and my bookkeepers. Um, yeah, I, I keep them up late at night, that's for sure. And the irony here is I'm supposed to be financially free, of which I am, but the management of my financial freedom is a full-time job. 
I am well diversified, well hedged against risk and well hedged against loss for myself and my partners. The income is flowing, but I'm a prisoner to the management of it all. So back in January, where we are now, we're almost in September, so eight months ago, and I've been keeping this under the table for quite a while, but, but back in January, I told myself and my team that the madness has to stop. Okay, it has to stop. We keep receiving the responsibility of putting people's money to work, but, but it's burying us in the process in a way that the, the business is 100% dependent on us now. And it's not supposed to be. That's not how you're supposed to build a business. And, and there's no way we'd, we'd ever be able to sell the business if we wanted to. And there's almost virtually impossible for us to replace ourselves within the business, you know, without months and months of training to our replacements. So in January... Earlier this year, I committed to putting an end to this. I committed to simplifying my business, to focusing on the 20% of the business that produced 80% of the income. I got that from uh, the 80-20 rule. It's no secret, but I really kind of narrowed in on that when I heard listened to um, the four-hour work week about for the seventh time, eighth time <laughs> earlier this year. So I was going to focus on 20% of the business that produced 80% of the income. And, and what I didn't anticipate was how complicated and expensive it would be to simplify. It's, it's kind of like an oxymoron. It's complicated to simplify. And it's been very complicated, but, but we're here. So, and I, so I'm happy to say we are here. And then I think it's going to all be worth it. And so I'm going to share with you what I've done so that hopefully you can learn from my mistakes and sidestep all the chaos and build a real estate business that will run with or without you from the beginning and and or a way to invest in real estate requiring very little, if any, of your own time, okay? Now, in the past, when, it has the, when I've been asked the question, how to form a partnership or how should I structure this partnership? I got a friend with some money and I got the deals and blah, 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 or vice versa, whatever it may be. You know, I've consistently recommended that to keep things simple, have one partner be the owner of the real estate, and the other partner be the owner of the note on the real estate. And that was a very simple structure for me in the beginning to operate under. And it, and it built the first half of my portfolio. That's why I was such a big advocate of it because I saw what it did for me. I liked it because I got to own and control the real estate. That was mine. And my partner got a secured note with a fixed return. And so I was happy because I got the property and they were happy because they got the return. And if something ever were to go wrong in that partnership, the law was pretty clear on how it would be handled. You know, the owner has their rights. The owner of the real estate has their rights and the lender has their rights. It's very clearly defined within the law. There's no need for, you know, a partnership agreement. One person has title. One person has a note. Each side knows their responsibility, clean and simple. And I still like this structure, by the way. And I would recommend it under the right circumstances always. However, if you're considering this type of structure, you also have to, to consider now, in hindsight, I can see this, you have to consider how big you're going to get. I mean, is this just a one-off or a two-off deal that you're going to do on the side while you do your other job? Then, then that's fine. Or, or do you plan to build a business by doing this? You see, for, for one or two deals, for an asset that's already performing or one that you could personally cover should it experience a hiccup in performance, that's a good structure. Okay, that's a good structure. However, if you put together too many of these types of arrangements, 
you're building a pretty significant fixed payment. A big nut for yourself you're building. A big nut that you're responsible for paying every month. And when it gets to a certain size, and that size is going to vary for each and every one of us, but when it gets to a certain size, it doesn't take much for that structure to be kind of tilted off balance and create some real stress in your life, lack of a better word. Trust me, I know. Okay, so the other option. So if it's not the the you're on title, they're on uh, the note relationship, the other option is would be to come partners within like an LLC and have a partnership agreement created and and own the property together. Now, the, the pro of that, it removes the fixed payment from the equation, yet it divides up control. And, and for that to work, it has to be a pretty special partnership. You know, a lot of partnerships, we know how they end, right? I mean, there's just so much that can go wrong when you've got more than one captain, I guess, steering the ship. And when you're playing with people with large amounts of money or significant amounts of money, of money to their life and their livelihood, you know, things can go south or sour pretty quickly and, and you might not always be in alignment. You might be in alignment with your vision initially, but boy, it could just take a week or two and it can totally change. And believe me, I have seen that with partners that I've dealt with, okay? People that I've helped create a partnership and I saw them, they were like, they're in unity. We had beer. We broke bread together. It was awesome. We had a great time and everybody was on the same page. And ah, within 10 days, they were already off in their separate directions. Now, within that structure, you can have silent partners or you can have passive investors to kind of remove that aspect. But then that heads you down this other path with these SEC regulations. But it can still work. I mean, if, if your plan is to keep it small. But what if you want to get big, right? What's the solution then? So if the partnership is kind of um, counterproductive or, or not the best way to go about getting big with partnerships or the, you know, the, the lender or excuse me, the owner of the real estate and the one being on the note of the real estate is not the best, what's next? Well, that leads me to my simplification solution that I've been working on since January. And had I only began this way, I, I, it would have never taken me this long, but I just had such a, a tangled cluster of LLCs and strategies and properties and markets that uh, that it took me a little bit longer than pr- would it probably take most people. But but it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth every single minute, every single penny that I've dropped on this. And this is going to be important right now for anyone that plans to grow a really big real estate investing portfolio or a very big real estate investing business. I'm going to share with you how I've set off into a slightly different direction to build a bigger business with less effort. Basically, Make more by doing less. That's kind of been the motto around the office for the whole year is how do we make more money, more profit? How do we increase the bottom line? But by doing less work, by taking less energy, less effort, less of our time. How do we do that? So at the beginning of the year, I connected with a pretty remarkable guy. He, he's a Wall Street guy turned real estate guy. And, and he brought his Wall Street knowledge, his experience managing a hedge fund on Wall Street, And he applied the systems and structures of a Wall Street hedge fund managing paper assets and and businesses and companies. He he took that structure and applied it to real estate, tangible assets, like the type of real estate that you and I do every single day. And I was a bit skeptical at first because, you know, anyone that knows me knows, hey, I'm not a big fan of Wall Street. (laughs) And I consider myself now fairly accomplished in real estate. I've got a lot to learn, a lot, and I certainly want to get bigger, but I feel I've, you know, I've made, earned my lumps or whatever you say. And I seriously 
doubted that any Wall Street guy had really anything valuable to share with me, a real estate guy. That's just kind of how I walked into it, and shame on me <laughs> in hindsight. So the first thing I learned is the term hedge fund. It's, it's thrown around pretty loosely, especially in real estate now. It was never even mentioned in real estate. And now since the, the market crash and all the hedge funds, quote-unquote hedge funds, came in and buying up all the real estate, now that it's just like an everyday word for us. And, and what I've kind of discovered is most people, when they're saying hedge fund, they really don't even know what they're saying. They don't even, they're just, they just know it's a big institution that buys property and they assume it's a hedge fund. Most people really don't know what a hedge fund is. And in its simplest form, it's where a group of people, they, they put their money together inside of a fund. That's the fund part. And the, the hedge part has to do with how they invest that pool of money. You see, the investment is divided up into at least two different investments, okay? It's got to be more than one, but at least two, and typically a lot more than that, but let's just keep it simple. But two investments, it's invested in two investments in a way that if one investment falters a bit, the other counterbalances that falter and actually kind of picks up the slack and and it does well and and offsets the first investment's losses. Kind of like, you know, in Vegas playing blackjack and and the dealer, you know, that deals out the cards and and the dealer showing an ace face up. And they're going to ask you if if you want to buy insurance against the dealer getting blackjack. Well, if the deal, the dealer gets a blackjack, that's, that's a, your insurance uh, secured your losses. You don't lose anything. Okay. Or, Another example would be, I guess in my layman's example in stocks, let's say a hedge fund was investing in energy. It's an energy hedge fund. And they put half their money in fossil fuel and the other half in solar. Now, let's say the automobile industry just out of the blue got together and announced that they were going to stop producing gasoline-operated vehicles. And they're going to focus on electric cars and solar power cars. Okay, so... What would that do to stock the stock price of gasoline if all of the automobile companies got together and said they were going to stop producing gasoline uh, running vehicles? Yeah, the, the stock on gasoline would drop. The demand would almost disappear. I mean, you still got factories and other uses for gasoline. But for automobiles, I mean, the demand would drop, so, so would the price. But what would that do to the stock price of solar? The solar price would actually go up, right, to offset the drop in the gasoline stock inside that hedge fund. So... That's uh, pretty easy to do. I mean, hopefully that made sense. That, that, that's pretty easy to do when you're, you know, when you're looking at stocks, when you're looking at paper assets, when you're looking at product producing or service producing companies. But how do you offer that type of hedge inside of investing in real estate? How do you bring a real Wall Street hedge to the real estate world? Well, you can diversify in property types like we talked about, or you can diversify in different areas. And that would create a certain amount of hedge, but that's really just diversification. It's not necessarily a true hedge. You know, the, in 2006, everything dropped. It didn't matter where you were invested in. It didn't matter what type of property you were invested in. Everything dropped, right? So that's not a true hedge. It's not, not, not where, not, you're not hedged against all loss or a large amount of loss. Where, where the real hedge comes in is within the diversification of the strategy, the property type, not so much. The different areas, not so much. But the diversification of the strategies, and specifically, I'm talking about the speed of which the strategy performs. You know, just like the buy and sell strategy and the buy and hold strategy. The buy and sell strategy, that generates quick profits, right? Because you're going to buy and you're going to sell maybe in a day or two. 
or maybe even if it's in a month, that's still relatively quickly in, in, the, in the world of real estate or the world of investments. And then you have the buy and hold strategy, which generates your long-term profits, your profits over time. So you get your, your cash flow and you might get some appreciation. You might get some equity buy down. You're going to get a long term, a longer term profit that way. So if you're doing that, if you got both going, keep doing it. Okay. You're doing it right. Now, what there's to think about though is how big do you want to get? And do you plan on using other people's money to do it? Or are you going to just go ahead and fund it all yourself? That's a choice you get to make as well. Well, no one ever really got rich using their own money. Okay. Everybody that has ever experienced or achieved great wealth did it with other people's money, with leverage. Okay. So if that's the path you want to take and neither one is right or wrong, that's your personal preference. You know your situation better than I do. But um, if you're going to, if you want to get big, okay, um, you're probably going to have to use other people's money. So anyway, let me get back. After a, a couple of days with this Wall Street guy, I, I broke down my business for him. We looked it over. We just kind of over lunch, we laid it out all on the table and, and we created a plan. We looked at the most profitable of my eight LLCs, the, the eight that I had. And then we chose the three that represented different speeds of profit. So we took the most successful LLCs and kind of came up with our own formula with the three that represented the different speeds of profit that were also profitable. And we narrowed it down to one fast strategy one midterm strategy, and one long-term strategy, all of which support each other. They all, they all, um, they, they counterbalance each other. And what took all the kind of the guessing out of it is that they were already working. They were working in their independent structures of their LLC structures. They, I mean, they were already performing. So it was kind of like, uh, yeah, they've been doing this. They've been doing it for a while. They're still doing it. So what we did is, is we took eight LLCs, we liquidated five of them and brought the remaining three inside to the fund, into the fund where they all operate under one umbrella. Kind of a no-brainer. I mean, one simplified and profitable umbrella. And and I've actually also arranged it in a way that should you or, or any investor can participate, any real estate investor specifically, uh, can participate in, in, a, in a few different ways. And I'll explain more on that. And within the next week or so. But for example, you know, okay, I'll just get, okay, this one example. One of the strategies is transactional funding. That's our quick strategy. That's where we we loan out small amounts of, or we loan out amounts of money for a short period of time and we make a profit really quickly, okay? Just like in a day or two. And, and actually there's a big reason as to why this will likely be a vital part to your wholesaling business in the very near future. So that's why I wanted to introduce it and put this in place for you. And and I'm making that transactional funding available to Epic Pro Academy members. They're going to receive preferential treatment for that. And it's going to be low cost, easily approved transactional funding service for your your wholesaling business. And and you'll be able to participate either as a recipient of the transactional funding or as a participant in the company extending the transactional funding. And and that's that's the example I want to give you. We've got three of those inside of the fund. And that's what I mean. Should it make sense to you that there are two ways of which anyone could participate? You can be the the client or the the uh, the person extending the service. Okay. So anyway, I'd love to teach you how to put your own hedge fund together because I think this is a brilliant structure, and it could have simplified so my business so much so uh, so much so so much earlier and quicker. And I just don't think that. Um, 
you know, I don't know if there's a way that I could teach that over a podcast and have it really sink in and have it really become a value to you. Okay, so what I would like to do is to I want you to get that information and I want you to be able to know how to put your own hedge fund together and or be able to identify a good real estate hedge fund for which you could invest in so you could participate on both sides, whether you know, if, if you find something out there, how are you going to know if it's a good opportunity? But I, it's just, like I said, it's a little too complicated to teach over a podcast and you, and hopefully you would actually get something out of it. I think that'd be wishful thinking on my part. So what I did was I invited my Wall Street friend to join me on an online coaching session on Thursday, September 4th at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Thursday, September 4th at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time to where he'll show you how to set up your own real estate hedge fund and or be able to identify a good real estate hedge fund to where you could feel comfortable investing your money, okay? And this is an invite only to you, by the way, just listeners of this podcast. I'm not announcing this anywhere else. So this is just for you. Um, It's just a private little training. And this online coaching session, Thursday, September 4th at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, it's not going to be a good fit for everybody. So even though I am inviting you all, most of you or probably most of you wouldn't, really want to be here anyway. Meaning if you've yet to do your first deal, it's probably not for you. Okay. Not yet, but, but not now. Okay. Um, and, and even if you're, you're just moderately interested, probably not for you either. I mean, everyone is welcome to come. Absolutely. You are more than welcome to listen in. I've got no problem with that, but, but all attendees will be asked to complete a survey in advance. You'll be asked to sign an NDA agreement, non-disclosure agreement, and you'll be asked to pay a $97 fee, okay? Because this is a higher level conversation and it can end up a, a very lengthy conversation if he has to address the entire spectrum of experience levels of the attendees, you know, meaning he doesn't want to uh, talk to new investors or and uh, bore the ex- more advanced experienced ones and he doesn't want to talk to the more advanced experienced investors and confuse the newer ones. So he asked that, that a survey be completed so he knows who he's talking to and a non-disclosure agreement signed because his information, it's um it's his information and uh, pay a $97 entry fee. He wanted me to put that in place. And what he did say, however, is should you attend and you feel it was not worth it, that it wasn't worth at least your $97 in your time, he will refund your entry fee with no questions asked, okay? But he just just wants to make sure that the people are there that or that they really want to be there. Anyway, if you want to learn how to create your own hedge fund and or be able to identify a good one that you might want to invest in, go to epicsyndication.com and sign up, okay? Epicsyndication.com and sign up. Very simple. And that page, by the way, uh, will not be live until midnight tonight. And today is Monday, August 25th. I will not have that page live until midnight tonight. So if you go there, if you're listening on Monday, August 25th, it's not there yet. Okay, it will be at midnight. Again, the Hedge Fund online coaching session will be Thursday, September 4th at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Go to epicsyndication.com, epicsyndication.com to register and reserve your space. Only 100 spaces available. I don't know if we're going to sell all of those out um, or uh, maybe we'll have sell two. I have no idea. I have no idea what to expect. All I do know is what this has done for my business and where it's taken me. And it's helping me take my family. And if this is something that you can see for your business, whether it's right now or, or in the immediate future or maybe even a year from now, this might be something you want, you want to look into. All righty. So epicsyndication.com, go there and register. All righty. 
That's it for today. I'm Matt Terrio, living the dream. You've been listening to Epic Real Estate Investing, the world's foremost authority on separating the facts from the BS in real estate investing education. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to visit iTunes and share your thoughts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time here at Epic Real Estate Investing with Matt Terrio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.